And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Hello, Joe. Hello, JJ Bull the Bullard. Hello, Alex is full of energy today. <laughs> Very full. Lots of coffee. Well, listen, it was the final day of the Premier League season yesterday, and... What a final day it was, JJ. Yes, I really very much enjoyed it. The, you know remember when the Man City thing with Aguero, the, the 93-20, they said this will never happen again. It didn't really happen again. That will never happen again. That right. was properly like United Just had won that. the league. Yeah. Sure. But it was really exciting. And also, weirdly, I honestly felt like not as excited as I probably should have been watching that sort of thing unravel because mm. I felt like it was going to happen all the way. Mm. As I was watching it, it's, there's a sort of inevitability about it. Yes. It was yeah. very odd. Well, we'll come on to discuss uh, Man City, uh, who, of course, won the Premier League yesterday after several twists and turns. How big those twists and turns are, we will discuss. But they're yeah, interesting enough. Also, uh, Liverpool's uh, just missing out with the Champions League final to look forward to, so that's very fun for Liverpool. We will discuss, of course, the race for fourth with uh, Tottenham and Arsenal. Leeds surviving and Burnley not surviving. Uh, so we will discuss that too because there are some serious things to say there. Other than that, there's a little bit on Manchester United, I think uh, reflecting on a, just a dreadful season all around. So that's exciting. And uh, elsewhere, we'll come to discuss a few things that happened in Europe, on the continent as well. But listen, I have to say, normally I would joke around at this point, you know, making some uh, stupid connection to uh, the athletic based on what we've just said. But this morning, I have indulged myself with the delectable long reads that have all been released uh, this morning. I don't know if either of you have had a chance to read any of them yet. Mm. But uh, my favourite one, uh, mainly out of interest, was Andy Jones on Burnley. There's a lot to say there, and we'll cover that in full probably at some other point in the summer. But uh, there are so many interesting things to read this morning, Alex. Yeah, the behind the scenes on Ranjek's tenure at United with the details about using his video analyst in Lokomotiva Moscow mm. and, and the problems that that caused in terms of making immediate decisions and stuff was mind-blowing. Yes, um, yes. So, uh, yeah. I had we'll no discuss that later. That yes, I am sure we That's will. That's fun. But it, listen, if you are not a subscriber to The Athletic and you would like to uh, try out some of these long reads, you can do so for free today by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And I guarantee you that you won't be disappointed. If anything, if there was a better time to start a 30-day free trial and then cancel it on the 29th day, there isn't a better time. It's now. I'm pretty confident, though, that you won't cancel it because it's great. Anyway, that's The Athletic. Fine. Well, for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the oh-so-cool embrace of the wrapping up of uh, the Premier League season. Here we starting now. Here we starting with Man City. Now, of course, uh, it turns out, JJ, that Man City have actually won four of the last five Premier Leagues, 
which seems like quite a lot of them. Pep Guardiola, been here for six years now. Uh, this this uh, is his 10th top tier uh, league trophy. Also those two Champions Leagues with Barcelona as well. It's quite incredible, isn't it? I was looking at Twitter yesterday and I saw Tarek Panjer of the New York Times sort of uh, suggesting that it's quite difficult at the current time to imagine a Premier League world that Man City do not completely dominate. I think everyone sort of appreciates Pep Guardiola has been one of the greatest managers of all time, one of the most influential. His his influence will expand into everywhere. I think I was listening to another podcast on the network, the Michael Cox Tactics one. Mm. I'm talking about the how... Athletics Football Tactics podcast. Yes, yeah. yes. It's a good listen. And um, they were discussing how... The Guardiola sort of influences even spiral down into like Sunday league and lower things. People will talk about they want to try and keep session play out from the back. Yeah. I mean, that's not new concepts, right? I mean, the old Liverpool teams in the the eighties where we were doing the same sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something that's influenced how people want to play. People refer to pressing rather than closing down. That seems to have come from that bit of uh, Jurgen Klopp in there as well. But what he's done there. Yes, lots of money been spent, but he's signed players that are very specifically stylized towards suiting his style of play, what he wants to get out. They identified players who weren't superstars. The signing of Holland is a bit different because he is one of the best players, in the well, best strikers in the world, certainly. But players like De Bruyne came in and then became like one of the best players. Is that is that? I mean, like I think when he's gone as a coach, you know, in 10, 20 years time, Pep Guardiola, do you think the best the way to remember him will be the way that he improved players rather than the players he bought? I think probably. I think the team is what you'll remember for him rather than... There, there are stars within that team. We always have to have those to win things. Like De Bruyne was hugely important in winning that game against Villa on, uh, on the weekend. Mm-hmm. But they've had players who are extremely important throughout the time that he's been there. Like Aguero has been, even though people think of him not getting on very well with Guardiola. He's scored mm-hmm. heaps of goals. And you've got... I know Fernandinho, of course, played his last game on yep. the weekend, has been there. Look at Phil Foden, who is without doubt one of the best young players in the entire world. Uh, he is a phenomenal player already. Being really carefully managed by Guardiola. People thought, why is he not playing him straight away? He's getting the England team. But he seems to have been perfectly managed and now he yep. can play at this elite level. It's consistent. Like really hard to get out of young players. Well, it's consistency. This season, I think about players like Roger as well. Because when, he, when oh, yeah. he was signed, his first season, you know, there were some iffy moments and people questioned whether or not he was the, the player that Guardiola really wanted. This season, he's been absolutely outstanding. Yeah, and never won like Joe Cancelo. So if he'd yeah. gone to Man United, he would not be the same player that he is now. And like that was a big hard link was him going to, to United. Cancelo is one of the best attacking <laughs> midfielders who is... A, also a left back mm-hmm. uh, and a right back yeah and then you think how uh, Guardiola has changed the way that City play over the last couple of seasons they've transitioned to more of this what I would call a very traditional English 4-4-2 but that's only out of possession what I think of Guardiola is that my understanding of it is that the positions don't really matter and the numbers absolutely do not matter in terms of what a formation is for a team it's all to do with where the ball is and you think of football in a slightly different way it's combining all the different kinds of sports and games like board games like chess and things that are involved yeah. and how he tries to control a game and win it in a way that he has devised rather than relying on the chaos of things that happen. I would say that Guardiola and Klopp are the two best individual, most influential managers in the world at the moment. And it's amazing that they're in the Premier League. And I think it's, it's very easy to forget that you have those because in seasons gone by, all the best ones would be in the Liga, mm-hmm. Real Madrid or, Bar- or Barca or something like that. And then to have them in Man City and Liverpool and that rivalry, very much like the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry over the past season, you've got City and Liverpool, the two best teams in the world, I would say, to watch. Yeah. You're going head-to-head, driving each other on. And Guardiola referred to that in his post-match, I think, talking about the seasons. They've clearly have a lot of respect for each other, Klopp and Guardiola. I enjoyed Guardiola in recent weeks. 
he's well known as a manager for the way he turns a team into what they can do and the tactics behind it. And he saw his like frantic gesticulating in the dressing room in that Amazon documentary that came out. Mm-hmm. So you sort of see what that is. But then maybe he's trying to learn more from people like Sir Alex Ferguson, who he said was hugely influential on him and how the way he's managed it, trying to cultivate that siege mentality in recent weeks, talking about how everyone in, in the media is a Liverpool fan. Everyone wants Liverpool to win mm-hmm. and not City which is the kind of thing you do to try and galvanise teams. Ferguson did that, like, constantly. And trying, yeah. I don't know what his individual man manager's like, what he tells people individually. They seem to all... Everyone that talks about him either doesn't like him, Ibrahimovic or something, because they just have ideological differences, or they're just hugely respectful and say that he understands things. That they adore him. They just adore him, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, he's so dedicated to it and clearly just fully in to what, everything he's doing, he's fully into. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. To go back to Tarek's point, uh, trying to imagine a Premier League where Manchester City aren't dominant. I think the next massive challenge, and maybe we can discuss this at some point over the summer, is when Guardiola eventually leaves, that transition is going to be complicated. Another player, though, Alex, that has had a huge impact, uh, JJ's already mentioned, Fernandinho, it was his last game. Mm. He was taken off at halftime because he was quite rubbish in the game, (laughs) Uh, although he started at centre-back, which is not his preferred position. Mm. But over the last few years at Manchester City, I think of him as maybe one of the most crucial players in that you know transition to the team that they are now? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it, we talked about this thing they call the free eights, mm. the idea of these two central midfielders who can both push forwards with a uh, license to break into the box. And we see Gundogan doing that regularly, in fact, obviously popping up with the goals in the crucial game. The reason they can do that is in part because Fernandinho was such a good shielder and shuttler mm-hmm. behind a fantastic screening defensive midfielder sublime when it came to tactical fouling and a really good example of repurposing because Fernandinho was originally more of a 10 when he came over from Shakhtar that was his you know he was he was a more creative player he was more bursting forwards and, and doing that kind of role and I think you know to pick up on what JJ said about the development of players how players get better under Guardiola someone like Fernandinho it's not necessarily getting better, but it's a reshaping of a role and harnessing facets of that player's game, his ability to read the game, his positional awareness, his tactical yeah. discipline. That's one of the things that makes Guardiola so good. I, I think another good example of that is Sinchenko, who came on in this game and had quite an impact. You know, not the sort of player that gets heralded for what they do, but just an incredibly versatile, reliable footballer. Yeah who will do what is expected of him. And Guardiola is so clear and thorough on those kinds of things that players can move seamlessly in and out of his systems if they are good enough and clever enough. Sinchenko is a really good one because I think he, as you said, he's not hugely lauded within the team, but that is very specifically within the context of the Manchester City squad. When you think about him as a player, his qualities and his (laughs) talent, and you put him in any other team suddenly it's a lot easier to see uh, why he's so good. Right, exactly this. And and you look at someone like Angelino, who was there uh, and is now, I think, still at RB Leipzig. You know, very good attacking fullback, gets forward a lot, creates a lot from crosses and so on, but obviously wasn't the right fit for that role, possibly because of this tactical understanding, mm. intelligence, positional discipline, that kind of thing. You know, Guardiola knows what he wants from footballers. And yes, he has spent a lot of money, but it's very difficult to see many of those acquisitions as not having been improved by him. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
footballers cost more money now than they used to, right? So, yeah. you know, the, you can say, oh, well, he spent £100 million on fullbacks. Well, that's because that's what the market rate for really high-class fullbacks is now. Mm-hmm. If he'd been managing 15 years ago, 20 years ago, he wouldn't have had to spend so much. Sure. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. Okay. There's um, a Cinco sub as well. Guardiola was asked about that and said the exact reason he did it is because in the first half they couldn't get around Villa so they were looking at through them, sorry, there was just no space in the middle mm. and the, it was the Christmas tree shape that Gerard seems to really like or Michael Beale, whichever one of them likes it, sure. shows the ball always wide and they can double up or triple up on uh, players in wide areas. And so, because they didn't have a left footer on that side, Zinchenko suddenly gave them an option of being able to hit crosses on the byline yeah. so they could get down that way and stretch the defence out, which is eventually how they managed to put them down. I would say if I was being critical, it is possibly also, I mean, yes, certainly the tactical element of it assisted, but there were one or two moments where Fernandinho was chasing back towards his own goal and did not look the favourites to, uh, to Oh, and the ball would be over the top of him, yeah. But yeah. that's, again, like, yeah. Villa were clearly looking to get the ball over the top of the high line. Sure. There was, a, there was one of the chances that Watkins just missed was uh, the goalie, um, Olsen, just punted it over the right over the top of the, the line who were on the halfway and Watkins yeah. just, I think he'd been just offside, actually. Yeah. It runs through just to play off the back of that. It's quite nice, though, isn't it, to think, like, as we said, it's Fernandinho's final game. There is no obvious tactical sentimentality half time you get pulled and I didn't hear anyone talking about it I didn't see Fernandinho complaining about it Pep Guardiola has the personality and the authority to make the decision it's like a non-issue because of how the team appears to run which is quite interesting Jack Grealish JJ uh, huge transfer last summer people were very excited about him I think there's a feeling that he hasn't contributed in the way that perhaps some fans expected him to but Mark Carey wrote a great piece in The Athletic recently which suggested that's maybe not the case but when you look at all the underlying numbers this is obviously Mark's uh, data which is correct because he's very good. Right. It's Mark's data. Did he gather it himself? Yeah, yes. He, he counted all the numbers. Right. Just sits there with a notepad. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Grealish's underlying numbers are the best in the league this season when it comes to expected assists and open play. Huh. Apparently this season. So um, he comes on top. De Bruyne is next. Then Salah. Then Alise. Like Crystal Palace, actually. Right. He was okay. very highly thought of. Because I did think at half time when they brought Raheem Sterling on, or in the second half when they brought Raheem Sterling on, and had used, I don't know if that was a third sub or not, but they'd used their substitutes and... Grealish clearly wasn't going to feature. I did wonder, like, is this just something you accept in a Guardiola or a big team like City? Even if you're a star player, you probably are going to be rotated. Because well, that's how it always works for all the wide forwards there. Yeah, if you look at the, the players who have played, how many games they've played, I think a lot of it's to do with keeping players fit and ready. Like They'll have underlying like science numbers that show when players are close <laughs> to the red zone. <laughs> science numbers. That's the technical term. Hey... That's what you know what I mean though. I do. They've got scientists, they all wear lab coats and yeah. they all have glasses. Sure. Nerds. And so they're walking around and they've got all the numbers that, that say how close players are to the red zone. It's often referred to as the time you can't play them because they're gonna get injured. I wish we had one of them here. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Well this the skeleton's not in the room, but I mean Liverpool do the same thing. They've seen to play the same players every week, actually, thinking about it, but the Robertson was on the bench a couple of times because mm. they would have been told that this is too dangerous to play them. There's too high a risk of them getting injured. And if you look at City's players, like De Bruyne, 25 starts this season. That's it. Bernard, that all? Yeah, 25 starts. Of 38 Premier League games. He's only started 25. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Rodri's played 33. Cancelo's 36, which is very important. But then look at the other ones. Like Phil Foden, you think of him having a great season. 24 starts. Yeah. Ilkay Gundogan, who changed the game. 20 starts. Gabriel Jesus, 21. Raheem Sterling, think of him as being a first-team player all-time. 23. Yeah. What's Grealish got? 22, with four sub-appearances. So it's, kind of, it's very interesting. And look at the game yesterday. The reason Zinchenko came on is because they needed left-footers on the left side to 
play down the wings. Yeah. So that's why they had him there. Foden is left-footed. Yeah. Yeah. Keep him on the pitch. You can go down the outside to get you there. Raheem Sterling came on as a right winger, like yeah. stationed by the byline to stretch the play to play on the right. Yeah. They've got uh, horses for courses. Mares comes on when he plays on the right to come inside the pitch when they can overlap with the fullbacks. Mm. But they couldn't do that because they didn't have Kyle Walker. So they can't play with that overlapping fullback. Yeah. Cancelo, I think they moved him to the right, I think, who would then come inside the pitch more often than not playing in the either the half spaces or just the centre of the pitch, that sort of thing. It's all tactical. Because he's £100 million, which is a stupid amount of money for mm. Jack Grealish, he is one of their absolutely like best players. The numbers underlying that expected assist ask, thing. Do you mean a, a, a stupid amount for Jack Grealish or just a stupid amount for any player? Kind of in general. I think a lot of that will be because of the uh, the hype around Grealish from being at Villa, being English. Mm. There'll be a bit of that sort of money and it would have, that sort of signing is high profile and puts you in the news, probably helps you with social media stuff as well, which is relevant to these clubs. Sure. Like genuinely, you want more followers. I don't know, City are growing as, as they are. They, they don't have the history of teams like Manchester United or Liverpool, so they don't have the historic fan base, which you'd get from around the world. So they can attract new fans and new uh, like revenue streams by winning stuff. Sure. Because then glory hunters start to support them. Yeah. That's what happens around the world. That's why Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United have so many fans around everywhere, because they win stuff. Sure. So City are trying to, that's part of their branding, is by winning. Winning. And then eventually they'll have the history. Things like winning the league title in the last few minutes or in a five-minute section, definitely definitely helps make yeah. that stadium look more attractive. You know how like old stadiums has got all that history it's there. Yeah. Well, obviously you, you build history by doing things there at the time. Right. And the Aguero moment is one that all supporters will remember forever. And then that like five minute goal blitz where they suddenly win the title is another yeah. that you associate with the Etihad and it becomes the sort of thing where you associate that with the Etihad. That's what happens there. Same way United you, under Ferguson, you always knew they were never out of the game five minutes left and they managed to win or get a draw out at the back. Mm. I've gone off really off topic with Grealish here, but yeah. to bring it back round, it's uh, a lot of money to spend. They can afford it. It's justified because over five years, wherever he's there for, he will create lots and lots of, lots of chances and take them on the pitch, which is what he does. The underlying number of the expected assists we're talking about, he's very high with underlying expected assists, but what he hasn't got is the assists to... I just had to say it like that because it's like... <laughs> I'm making a point. Yeah. And uh, they don't have someone to finish them. They've missed a few chances. And guess who's joining next season? Erling Holland, oh, who yeah. will score those goals. And suddenly yeah. you'll see Grealish will look like he's much more assisty. And it's, he's playing in a different team. He was really important for Villa because they were playing often on the break. Yeah. That's how they played. Now he's playing in a team that always has the ball and he's trying to do things in a slightly different way. He's still really good at dribbling past people, winning fouls, doing exactly the same things he's good at. And his sure. num numbers show that he's been great. So yes. All right. Thank you. Well, Villa were good as well. I thought Villa were very good. I watched this game and then we had, we split our responsibilities over the weekend. I think we already talked a little bit about Zinchenko coming on and the change that made in the second half because Villa played a lovely narrow defence and I don't believe Man City had a shot on target in the first half. If they did, it was towards the very, very end. There was a, a Joao Cancelo header which was super tame and straight into the arms of the goalkeeper, which I think doesn't count. If I was in charge of a data company, a shot on goal that would never, ever, ever go in, I don't think it should be allowed to count as a shot on goal. Mm. But anyway, we won't talk too much about Villa. We'll do that a little bit more over the summer in some more depth. Uh, but there is one thing I wanted to reference, uh, newsworthy Alex Stewart, mm. is that Bubakar Kamara, I think it's been announced officially now, yes. uh, is uh, joining Aston Villa on a free in the summer. This is a player that had been uh, you know, looked at by lots of uh, Champions League teams as well. So it's, I don't know if you would call it quite a coup, but I do want to say it because it's a fun thing to say. Quite a coup. Quite a coup. Yeah, I, th I think it's a very, very good signing. Um, Villa are putting together quite a fun and interesting team there. And, mm. and there are, 
you know, a couple of young midfielders, obviously particularly Ramsey, who've come through the system there, supplementing it with astute signings from other sides in England, like Watkins, maybe less so Danny Ings, but that's injury stuff. But then Kamara is the kind of, you know, highly experienced. He's he's young. He's still only, I think, 22, I want to say. Yes, 22. Mm-hmm. But has plenty of top flight experience with Marseille. They are the kind of team with very high expectations, a FIBRA fan base. So he's he's been exposed to that at a young age, which is really good for his development. What is it that he does? <coughs> is he a six? Yes, he's a six, but not a progressive six. Okay. So he's, he's going to get the ball up the pitch to more creative players. But when you've got someone like John McGinn in front of you, that's fine. You give mm. the ball to him and he'll do something with it. But he will provide the sort of protection that Douglas Luiz has done, but better. Mm-hmm. He's not quite as good at ball recoveries, but basically defensively in every other respect, he's a better player. Um, he's also quite press resistant. Mm-hmm. He will carry it forwards reasonably well, but he just allows a lot of glue in that area. And obviously, you know, Villa are looking with whether targets still that no targets moved to Newcastle, whoever their left back is. I can't remember. Luca is our left Luka back. Dinia, mm. uh, and then Matty Cash, both very attacking fullbacks. Mm. So having somebody who well can, combined for a goal against Man City that we can right. of course as uh, well. Cash is a great player. Mm. Um, but but to have someone like Kamara who can sit back and screen that defence ably and then get the ball to more uh, progressive midfielders. I think it's a really astute signing. So when you say he's not a progressive, uh, as progressive a, a six, do you mean he's a sort of player that you might not expect to eventually see in a kind of Man City-like system because he doesn't do all the same stuff that Rodri does? Or is he, you know, is he, yeah, is he more of a defensive not, six? Yeah, exactly. He's okay. not what you call like a deep-lying playmaker. Yeah. Um, he's not going to split the defence with passes that, that bypass the eights. Yeah. Uh, and have that, you know, what you often have is either a a creative, deeper lying player with one or two more shuttling ones with them, or you have the creativity coming from the players that are ahead and they're pushing up like a Man City and then somewhat, you know, obviously Man City are different because they can do everything. Sure. But I think Villa want to allow Ramsey and McGinn to be released forwards and to be that kind of threat pushing up through the half spaces or making angled runs directly into the box. Mm-hmm. And so Kamara sitting behind them, moving from side to side, breaking up play, getting the ball to more creative players in slightly more advanced positions, but not the one pulling the strings from deep. That's what he's going to do. And he'll do it really well. He's the French exciting. Ryan Jack. He's the French Ryan Jack. When you say Ryan Jack, all I hear is Jack Ryan. Have you watched the Jack Ryan Amazon series? I did. I didn't like it with Jim from the Office. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that's all I think is Jim. And, and, but that's and the original uh, Tom it, Clancy it, one, not Bugsy it? from The Wire. Can't remember his name. Anyway, mm. is it the original Tom Clancy one? Jack Ryan was the yeah the CIA operative for like Hunt for Red October. And I like him because sort of he's like all uh, you know. I don't know if you guys ever read swords and sorcery fantasy books, but there's always a kind of shepherd boy, a poor shepherd boy who turns out to be like the best at magic ever and is just the best. And I like uh, Jack Ryan because he's an analyst, right? Nerd guy. Mm -hmm. He does the science numbers that you were talking about before. Mm -hmm. But it also turns out that he's really good at fighting. Sometimes he takes off his lab coat. Yeah. And there's like a ninja suit underneath. You can see the rippling. Did you ever watch Merlin? Merlin? Yeah, the BBC, like kind of... No. You you know when, when television was just like normal terrestrial 
stuff on four channels or whatever and there yeah. was that like saturday afternoon six till seven slot the big power was, slot it was kind of like sort of for kids but adults could oh, get into okay, it as well sure. merlin was that it was like an adaptation of the arthurian legends but merlin was very much the best at everything that kind of person but yeah. also a poor shepherd boy i've got more to say about this but i won't because it's time for a break and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And what a break it was. It really was fun. <laughs> Tottenham and Arsenal. Oh, actually, tell you what, let's just a brief uh, reference for, for Liverpool uh, commiserations. We will be discussing them on Saturday and they can't be too upset because they've already won two cups and they're probably going to win another one. Uh, but we will discuss them uh, in more depth in a live stream we're doing on Saturday after the Champions League final. Very exciting stuff. One thing to mention there, I suppose, is that Mo Salah and uh, Son sharing the uh, Golden Boot Trophy. But I would like to point out that Mo Salah does take penalties. So, in a way, Son's kind of scored more, hasn't he? Mm. He's scored more real goals. But all the goals are real, so it doesn't matter. Tottenham and Arsenal. Let's begin with Arsenal. JJ, I, yes. I would like to say, I feel like this cannot be considered a failure for Arsenal. If we remember, we stretch our minds back to September 2021, Arsenal were bottom of the league. After their first three games, they lost all of them. They scored zero goals. They conceded nine goals. Things were very bad. Aubameyang left in January, of course, as well. We could, we could debate whether that was the right decision or not. I think maybe it was. That's how I feel about it. But I, I think for vast portions of the season, nobody expected them to finish fourth. Recency primacy feelings obviously make that a little harder and that it was Tottenham that, you know, pipped them to the punch at the end probably makes that difficult too. But in terms of the team that Arteta has built this season, in terms of the fact that you're able to see what that identity is more and more as the season went on, and if you think about, you know, an aggressive summer transfer window hopefully coming up, they could be on course with top four next season, couldn't they? Yes, they absolutely could. So I think Arteta's changed them a lot. We did a video on this in Tifo IRL earlier, how they change what they, what they play. And what is good is that their expected goals for and against have like done this thing. I'm trying to do, obviously this is a, an audio medium, so you can't sure. see what I'm doing. But yeah. What are you doing? Uh, You're creating a gap. They are creating more goals for and having fewer against against yes. so the chances created and that sort of thing you mean they're more likely to score more goals in a game and they're likely to concede fewer goals in that's a game another way than to they say were it, before yeah. so they used to create all their chances out wide this season they're trying to focus a lot more through the middle mm. so we can see that Arteta's is trying to take steps to move them towards more what he wants them to be like at the start i think he was having to be quite pragmatic and change things off and on so you couldn't really see what it was he was trying to do and the players maybe weren't able to do what he wants them to do and slowly he's building it it does feel like a big disappointment because they haven't got the Champions League spot and they should have done probably. Yeah. But they, they arsenaled it 
just to reverse the Spursy thing that has sure. always been going around. Sure. Uh, fell apart at the last, couldn't handle it. Granite Xhaka calling people out for letting other people down as though he hasn't done that. Sure. <laughs> he cares though. Glass houses, Joe. It's, I think it's disappointing, even though... Do you? Yeah, I do, yeah. What, just based on what, based on the entire season or just based on the last month? I think... It, uh, it's, obviously, they let it go over the last month. We all, we all know that. But this is why I'm trying to take us back to the beginning of the season to, you know, get our expectations in order. Well, they had a big opportunity because they had... Like, United have been dreadful all season. Yeah. It's the same way when um, Arsenal finished second that season that Leicester won the league. Yeah. Right, that was a big chance for them to win the title. And they didn't do it then. Sure. Because everyone was bad. That's, they that, were third you, until the final day as well. Yeah. I guess it's a good turnaround, but like the difference, if you look at, like Spurs deserve that Champions League spot because they've got it. So mm-hmm. the league table never lies. But I think you can look at the goal difference and see how much better Spurs. I mean, that's 29 plus goal difference for Spurs sure. compared to Arsenal's 13. 13 goal difference. You'd think that's probably a team who finishes in sort of mid-tables sort of thing. So well, Seb Stafford Bloor, who, who can't be here today, did leave me a note to say that he thinks if Arsenal had got a forward in January and on, on the record, he thinks that letting Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang go was probably the right decision. But if they'd replaced him with a forward in January, he said, quote, they would have walked forth. I don't know if they'd have walked. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think what I actually think because I'm not sure. Mm. Now I'm starting to think I doubt whether it's disappointing or what not. What do you think, Alex? I think that if you're Arsenal... I think Alex is also thinking about what he thinks. Because yeah. <laughs> they slow Yes. Down. The problem is that Arsenal fans are not enormously rational about these things. Mm-hmm. As a fan base go... Specifically Arsenal fans. Partic- yes, on the internet, there are, they are quite vociferously one way or the other. It's either the best team in the world and it's heading in the right direction and Arteta is God, or it's a cataclysmic disappointment and their failures and it's all horrendous. So getting some kind of perspective on it, I think if you look at the core of that side, there were some crucial signings that came in at the beginning of this season. Uh. So Ramsdale, Tomiyasu, Ben White, Benjamin White. I think Sambi Lukonga has been really good. Then you've got a core of young talent there with Saka, who is wonderful yeah. in all kinds of different ways. Yeah. As an emblem of a club, like anybody would want Saka. Right? Mm. He's a fantastic player, but he seems like an incredibly lovely person too. Smith Rowe as well. There's some really exciting young talent coming through the academy, which we talked about in a video with Art Rush. Mm-hmm. And like they're in a really good place yeah betting in those signings and harnessing the youth that's come through and is then you know getting better and better yeah in the next couple of years that's going to be a really really good side well can i say i listened to the athletic did a live uh, stream last night with reaction from lots of writers about all of the different games and it was interesting to hear amy lawrence on there she described arsenal fans now on the whole as having something to believe in mm. I think yeah. that's quite a nice way of thinking about it. I think that's absolutely right. If you're particularly, you know, we, we've, we've talked about how great Man City and Liverpool are and they are phenomenal sides and they have considerable spending power as well. They also have really good departments for bringing in high quality players. Mm. Like that arms race becomes very difficult to compete in. So realistically, most other clubs at best are thinking about really solidifying their place in the top four, Mm -hmm. becoming one of those big clubs that's regularly competing in the Champions League, going the long way down in the FA Cup, that kind of stuff. But also having some kind of narrative to your team is great. And having 
younger players, players that have come through the academy and are then becoming genuine first team stars, not just people that are on the bench and, oh, it's nice to have an academy player on the bench, but players that you can actually really build a side around but Mm. have come through that system. I think if you're Arsenal, you can look at that squad and have real pride in that. Yeah. Uh, and it makes it more something that you can engage with more easily. And I'm not saying that that compensates for not necessarily challenging for titles, but also I think every football fan who is not a fan of Manchester City, Liverpool, and maybe occasionally Chelsea will have to see what happens there. Yeah, But they're kind of got to realistically write the title off for as long as... Guardiola and Klopp are in charge of those yes. two clubs. The it's unbreakable just a duopoly. Yeah. Yeah. And same is true for Tottenham, of course. I think, and you know, with Tottenham for the season, the big key points would be the arrival of Conte, the continued brilliance of Son and mm-hmm. Kane. I think two examples of players that Arsenal just don't have. Yeah. You know, Son Again, of really good transfer business. Yeah. Benton Kirk, Kulisevsky, Benton Kirk. Yeah. Romero. I, th- I think it's funny because Tottenham, I think while we're talking about Arsenal should they be disappointed or not? Tottenham can are almost the other way around. Like, should they be super pleased mm. or just quite pleased? Like, yeah. I think Tottenham have overperformed. And I don't mean that in terms of like XG or something, because the XG table is is exactly what the actual table is. Yeah, um, That doesn't lie either, JJ. The men in lab coats. Yes. <laughs> correct. But again, that's a team that's that's heading in the right direction mm. in a slightly different way. But Well, Conte described it as... I don't know if it was the achievement of his career, but it was one of the great achievements of his career, getting fourth with Tottenham, JJ. Absolutely is. That, that, I don't think... Remember the team at the start of the season with Nuno, it felt very weak, vulnerable. I forget that Nuno was even there. Yeah, I, I really do. But then this is the thing, like, so they've not been as good as they were under Pochettino. They don't love Pochettino yeah. for a while. JJ hates Pochettino. No, I don't... I don't it's, it doesn't matter. Anyway, do you uh, know that kid in your school that, uh, when you, you you all say, "Oh, I really like Power Rangers," and that kid goes, "I don't like Power Rangers. I like um, poetry instead." That's JJ. It's not because I like the Power Rangers the most. Do you? Yeah, fine. Okay. All of them. Anyway, Bad example. I think Conte's come in and he's made that team instantly, immediately better. Mm-hmm. Every single player is better now, or if they're not, they're not in the team. He's got Ryan Sessegnon looking like a half-decent wing-back. He's getting him into positions where he can attack at the back post, which is what he's best at doing. Yeah. That's it. He's a forward, and he's managed to get Sessegnon to do that in that team. Matt Doherty's been rescued and is suddenly considered a great player again. He was basically going to be put in the bin at the start of the season by Spurs fans. Then you get the very best out of Kane and Son, and Kulisevsky's come in as one of the best young players in the league. So the recruitment is already good. They are instantly better. They have a clearly defined style of play. And I don't think anyone in the league would consider them Spursy now. You consider them as that's... Mm-hmm. Like they are a, a team that is going to be difficult to play against. Yeah. Because of Conte, it's there. Whereas I think with Mikel Arteta, and it's a very different process of what he's doing. So Arteta is building something for later. And it takes a longer time to build a nucleus of players who are young and know each other together and make them good enough to win. You need to bring in the sort of talent that can get you there. But that's hard to find and bring into a team who's not performing as they should. Maybe if they got Champions League, I think it could have set them up really quickly. And Arteta's doing that. He's clearly learning. But Conte is the finished article. He's one of the best managers in the world. He, along with Klopp and Guardiola, I, honestly, I'd put him up in the, the very top bracket. Arteta's not there, and you can see it's disjointed. So whether it's the tactical part or the man management part or the recruitment part, I don't know which is the bit that's missing for Arteta. He's learning. He'll, he will get there. It seems to be that he's on a, 
a journey of sorts and he'll get to that a trajectory a, yeah there's something you can see they're going places this is why it feels disappointing because i don't i still don't feel it's great i think like odegaard's been a really smart signing it's taken time for me to even see that because players like that come and go and they make some assists like like Meza Ozil sometimes turns it on you see it it's obvious it's there mm -hmm. sometimes odegaard sort of flits about and doesn't do an awful lot but in, the, in recent weeks, he's been really important. You see he's managed a good little relationship with Saka on the right, whether that's just intuitive or whether it's been something born on the training ground they've worked on. I also think Seb's right with the striker thing with them. And uh, Spurs do have the benefit of having Son, one of the best forwards in the world, and Kane, one of the best forwards in the world there to be able to play with so he can build on. But I think Conte will get his next recruitment window, if he stays, absolutely right and could just justifiably expect to finish third next season yeah. just because it's Conte the players aren't good enough to do that but he could make it happen Okay. whereas Arteta I think could forever be in this sort of bracket where they're not quite getting to that next part unless the recruitment becomes really good next season yeah. that's all just hindsight when you come to that though. well Alex uh, Seb Stafford Blow very keen to pull the strings from afar mm. wants us to talk about Romero mm. uh, says this does not happen without Romero when he's been in the side he makes a huge difference yes and I think partly that's because like JJ said Conte makes teams difficult to beat but also having a bit of a hard bastard on the pitch is really helpful for that too. Mm -hmm. Romero has that experience of Italian football. He's used to playing in a back three because he did at Atalanta. As a the centre of the back three in Atalanta, he was the one tasked with pushing forwards and defending that space in front of the penalty area really aggressively, mm -hmm. dominating aerial duels, making opposition forwards, particularly ones who would drop off feeling you know, feel his presence. Like, and, and, and I know we can get very highfalutin about tactics sometimes and this happens mm. and that happens and that's all true. But also if you're playing against a centre-back who is going to put their elbow through the back of your head every time they challenge for the ball mm. and is doing it constantly and is making you feel like you don't want the ball, mm. there aren't many forwards that can deal with that kind of thing. So that commitment... His ability also to move across into spaces and cover in behind the other defenders. Spurs have worked some really nice systems where the wide centre-backs have drifted out and up slightly because Romero's been able to cover in behind them. Loris is not that kind of goalkeeper. He's not a goalkeeper who really hairs forwards and dominates his box in quite that way. So mm -hmm. it's just really worked. But I think that's not just a tactical thing. That's also because Romero is that kind of talismanic player that Conte wants. And Conte wants players that will run through brick walls for him. Yeah. I wonder who uh, recruited him. Because I wonder if it was part of like the Mourinho's, the famous bit in his, in that Amazon documentary, which is so valuable seeing behind the scenes and how they manage. And you see the day-to-day -day conversations he has with people. And Mourinho's saying that you need to be C-words yeah. Like, you know, for 90 minutes, you can be as much as you, you want. You can be crabs. You can be crabs, yeah. Chocolate. So he was telling Moving sideways them, is beneficial to the tactics. Especially when you're shuttling across in a small yeah. block. Sometimes it, that is yeah. actually true. And you can pincer across. No good when you're playing Brighton, though, is it? Two banks of crabs. they know crab. how to pick up the crabs. They know how to pick up the crabs. And smash their heads open. But yes, so you hire, you hire Romero, who is this already one king of those. King Crab. He's King Crab. Yeah. One of the many kings of the, uh, yeah, kings of the crab world. Mm. Uh, I think there's probably many different, probably a bit yeah. like Game of Thrones under the sea. Sure. Lots of different variations. Yeah. Electric heels, I like them. I saw a video with them. It was jackass. Anyway, so Antonio Conte, yes, good. But Romero is the kind of lit midfield, midfield defending general that they need to have on that pitch who is exactly what Alex is saying, is going to kick you, mm. which you can't often get into a team because it's very hard. Mourinho tried very hard to do it, but Eric Dyer, bless him, just isn't, Hard enough for Romero is. Eric Dyer's too nice 
for mm. that. You'd, and, and that's no slight on him. And I, I often think about Southampton, my team. Like, Southampton as a team are just too nice. There's, there isn't and Oriol Romeo in there. No, even he. Like, you, mm. you need to have a couple of players that are... And I'm not Cramps. saying that you take it to kind of Roy Keane extreme where you're throttling people and screaming in people's faces and mm. that kind of thing. But you you want to create a circumstance. And again, I think this Arsenal don't have one of these either. You want to have at least one or two players that the opposition are like, oh shit, we've got to play them today. Yeah. Like City's got Fernandinho. That's not fun. No longer. Uh, well, and, and also Ruben Diaz. Yeah. Is, you know, yeah. Ruben Diaz is very elegant, but he's built like a brick outhouse and yeah. he will go through people. And I, yeah, I think, I think you need that sort of thing. Like football, again, for all of the elegance and for all of the tactics and that kind of stuff, it, there are still individual battles there. And if you can dominate a player and make them think twice about going for the ball or slightly delay because they're mm. a little bit worried about the tackle that's coming in or have to scan that bit more because they're concerned about how close you are to them. That's that's good. You need yeah. those kinds of players. Well, I want to finish uh, speaking about Tottenham and Arsenal with a little tweet here from Charlie Eccleshare, one of the Athletics uh, Tottenham reporters who interestingly points out, he says, in the worst top four race ever, he's doing a kind of, uh, you know, facetious thing here. In the worst top four race ever that no one wants to win, uh, both Tottenham and Arsenal finished with more points than the average for fourth in the previous three seasons. Which is interesting because a lot of the narrative around it has been quite negative. Both teams giving it up at different times, as Charlie points out. You know, rival fans pointing out that nobody, nobody even wants to win fourth. That's how bad it is. Well, guess what? Uh, naysayers it's not that bad they've actually been better than uh, the team that's finished fourth for the last three seasons so in your face or something let's have a break now yes as you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It was a break. Leeds. Leeds United have survived. Imagine that. Uh, Four points from a final possible six. Four points from Brighton and Brentford is actually amazing, Alex. I really was not expecting that to happen at all. And I think we would not be saying goodbye to Burnley today if they had not got four points from Brighton and Brentford. Yeah, I think this was very much Leeds rescuing themselves yeah. rather than it being handed to them. It was an interesting game, the, the Brentford game, because 
they were not great. Mm. And and in the first half particularly, there was a real nervousness. I mean, Melies had a couple of howlers recently. They are still trying to play out from the back to a degree. Phillips dropping off, trying to receive those passes in. It looked shaky. It looked a bit disjointed. But they did have players, particularly in Phillips and Rafinha, who were able to kind of grab the game. Brentford slightly let themselves down with Sergio Canis's insanely stupid red mm. card, um, which was genuinely quite funny. He he scored, nice goal, took his shirt off to celebrate, and then probably no more than two minutes later, tripped Rafinha <laughs> making a run. And it was really blatant trip as well. I mean, yeah. the player was gone. And, and so Christoph Eyer was already off at that point through injury. So Brentford were already down to 10. Yeah. So that prevented any kind of, of comeback. But... Obviously, the big discussion with Leeds is is like having done as well as they did under Bielsa, firstly to, to come up and then to stay up. Has there been this kind of tumultuous fall off as a result of the way that Bielsa does stuff? Mm. How much has Jesse Marsh been able to rescue them? Is it just, you know, you have injuries to Bamford and Phillips, that's going to hurt any side yeah. to have their two key players out. But there have been a lot of conversations around Marsh has been quite critical about, you know, can player conditioning, muscle injuries, that kind of stuff, you know, implying that Bielsa... Overtraining. Basically, Bielsa just worked them all too hard. Yeah. And to be fair, that kind of is a pattern that you can see from previous Bielsa teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bielsa has extremely specific, not just tactical elements, but also training components. Mm. What that does is it makes a team that's very much forged in his image and is very exciting and fun to watch and also gets ripped apart by anybody that can decently counter a man marking system. But it also makes it really hard to recruit players. Mm -hmm. And so Leeds have not brought in a lot of players. Yeah. Um, I don't want to work hard. (laughs) Who wants to work hard? Do you really want to take a job where you have to work really hard? You you know, (laughs) the, the physical requirements for Leeds players are crazy uh they also have to be able to work in a particular kind of system they also have to have a particular kind of mentality yeah and it's hard to look at many of their acquisitions and go they've been really really successful either i mean rodrigo was sort of ambling around a little bit yeah against brentford so i think there is a natural end of a cycle there i think the yeah. really interesting thing for leeds going forwards is do they keep marsh Marsh seems like a sensible segue from the intensity of Bielsa to something approaching a more conservative but also pressing style. You know, with his experience through the Red Bull system, that makes a lot of sense. Will he be supported in the transfer market? Leeds need quite a revamp. You know, yeah. if you look at their squad, they it's are... It's rubbish. Yeah. I don't mean to be <laughs> really negative not- about it, like, because what they've achieved over yeah. the last couple of years is incredible. And I think in large part, that is due to, obviously, the, the players raising their level under Bielsa That's and thing. Bielsa being it's, able to do that. But as soon as you take Bielsa him out of it... can extract performances like he did over the championship season and that first Premier League season from someone like Luke Ayling. Mm. That's why we're talking about him yeah. being a phenomenal manager. But you get to the end of that cycle. It's finite. With Bielsa, it usually is three years. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, now we're in the Premier League. (laughs) And 
or a day with uh, whoever that was. They can I change their model remember. now. Lille? Was it Lille or Marseille? Lille. No, Lille, because he was yeah. at Marseille for a bit longer. Lille can change their model now because... Yeah, so they have to. Bielsa makes players better. He makes teams a lot, lot better. But so it can't last forever. Exactly. Yeah. So like Calvin Phillips wouldn't be the player he is if not for that. Pam Bamford wouldn't be the same. Pam Pam Bamford. Pam Bam. Bamford. <laughs> uh, wouldn't be the same player if not for him. I'd say players like Luke Ayling as well, probably. Liam Cooper is even really important. Yeah. So uh, Stuart Dallas... It's been wonderful. All these players that Bielsa's made amazing. Now, uh, Marsh, very good coach, has done well in the past. And they didn't sign anyone, they didn't recruit in January really to do anything. I think Daniel James, was that summer? Was it January? Uh, it would have been. In it the must summer, have been because he's yeah. played quite a lot of games, actually. Yeah. Mm. But like, if you sign players like Daniel James for 20 million, whatever it was, you get a return of four goals and four assists because that's what you get from Dan James. Yeah. Um, he's really good at he maybe. Scored most of the, he scored two of those in one game. One was a header, mm. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a really fast boy who can run on the wing and he, and he tries really hard and he tries really hard yeah. and those sorts of players the work rate is really good for a squad uh, having the width like we were talking about Man City earlier having that in some games is really important yeah. if you have a striker in the middle but they don't so I think if they can keep Rafinha that would be enormous because that's the sort of standard of player they want to try and recruit and get the similar thing in to get them up to the level yeah. but that's it it's, they would resign, they would sign Rafinha two years ago not Rafinha now mm. they need to have those I'm sure they've got them in the in the works they've got all their same recruitment people in yeah, place. Yeah, they've also got some quite good players coming through. So Charlie Cresswell at centre-back, Joe Gellhart, who played in this game um, and has looked really impressive in short bursts. Mm. Sam Greenwood looked fairly tidy. Actually, as a central midfielder, although he's usually like a sort of second striker or even a centre-forward. They're still two, three years away. Like, they need players they now. Are, they need, they need yeah. about two, three players who are of a level that can yeah. keep them up. Yeah. Mm. Like just to take them to the, down to the next sort of stage, and this thing is right is they'll. It, it's the thing with all football is that if you keep someone in place, like Arteta Arsenal for a long time, eventually it'll become a team that he's built, and it'll be that's what you've got. If you, if, if uh, Marsh gets some players in, and then they're maybe like fifteenth, sixteenth next season, they go, well, this is not good enough. We need to change someone else, and you change it again. Then that's when the leads will end up just going down and just never doing anything. And uh, um, you know, who have we talked about as being obviously? phenomenally good managers but also building this duopoly Klopp and Guardiola who have both been at their clubs for a really long time now mm. yeah you know you have to this kind of knee-jerk reaction of oh well things aren't going well let's get rid of so and so it doesn't really work very well and mm. if you want to particularly if you want to transition aside from like if it's a Leeds from being you know having been in the championship for a long time trying to establish themselves as a Premier League side yeah Get somebody in there and back them. If you have to make the right choice in the first place, yes. Be honest, you just wanted Mark Hughes to stay at Southampton, didn't you? Mm, That's the reason you're saying you. this. Yeah, but but look at Graham Potter at Brighton, right? Mm. So so here is a guy who's been trusted, having come in. Yes, okay, he made a splash at Ustersons because of the way that he went about stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you have Potter in place and you back him as intelligently as Brighton operate in the transfer market, yeah. which I love. He will kill Voldemort. <laughs> Voldemort's, you know, the crabs will be dropped from the sky. Brighton are just going to gradually climb up and up the table. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the more you climb up the table, the more money you get. Mm. And then you get into European competition, which mm. Brighton should, you know, probably like not Champions League, but Brighton should be aiming for sure. Europa Conference or something next season. Yeah. They are good enough. Their manager is good enough. Their squad is good enough. That's how you do it. You put somebody in place who you trust, who has a system and a philosophy that you believe in. You support them intelligently in the yeah. market. And boom, there you go. You don't 
bring in Mark Hughes when things go wrong for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's true. I suddenly had a vision of us sat here very seriously commentating on Harry Potter, you know, as if we were there in the wizarding world. Mm. And it was a fun, it was a fun vision. Not a fun vision for Burnley, though, who have been relegated back to the championship for the first time in the championship since 2015-16. Things are not great for Burnley. As I said at the beginning, we will discuss this in more length over the summer. I'm very keen to have uh, Andy and maybe Matt uh, Slater in, to who, people who know what they're talking about, to help us discuss this. But of course, we're referring to ALK, uh, Burnley's new ownership group, who bought the club using a leverage buyout, which listeners may have heard of before because it was a, a tool uh, used uh, in the Glazer takeover of Manchester United as well. The specific issue, uh, as, as far as I understand it related to this, is that there was a clause inserted. If Burnley were to be relegated, they would need to pay back some of that loan quite a lot sooner than they would if they hadn't been relegated. And of course, being relegated also means you have less money. So it's not great. <laughs> and I think to fully understand that picture, uh, we will need to discuss that uh, with, with Matt and Andy as discussed. So we'll, we'll come back and do that another time over the summer. But from a footballing perspective, lots of injuries this season, JJ. It's been, been unfortunate. I think you can sort of, you know, link their, their fall all the way back to Chris Wood having a release clause and that release clause being triggered by Newcastle, who at the time were in the relegation zone. And there were lots of jokes made and comments made about how, well, that'll be Newcastle swapping for Burnley then. And that's pretty much exactly what's happened. Yeah, but then the other side to look at that is that Wood had only scored, I think it's three goals. Let me just double check that. I think it's three scored. It was three. It was, it was 17 12 games. last year. It was right. 14 the year before. It's going to be something to do with chance creation that they've not... I've, I should yeah. really have looked into the numbers, actually, preparing for a podcast. But the science numbers. Yeah, the science numbers. It's going to be that they're not creating as much. Often, this is my thing with Burnley, right? Is often they've sort of... They've got through with grit and, like, clever, well-drilled tactics that have meant that they've been able to. And they're a lot more aggressive with pressing as well in, in a high line than maybe you'd think with Burnley. Mm-hmm. And, well, certainly under Dyche anyway. And they would fight their way through games. But this season, the luck hasn't gone their way in a couple of times, which has turned into a couple of 1-0 defeats, which then turns into... So it's a couple of defeats in a row. Confidence drops a little bit. You're not quite in the same absolute... 10 out of 10, 100% zone. Mm. And then you don't have the same fight and fire and the other teams are just better because other teams in the league have consistently improved their teams with new signings. Burnley got rid of Chris Wood and signed Veghorst. Wout Veghorst. Yeah. Who is a good signing. Who's been excellent. Yeah. So I actually don't think the Wood thing is relevant at all. I think Veghorst has come in and made them arguably better. Yeah. He's probably a better player. Sure. And has adjusted straight away. It's more in their... The way I mean, the last team of the season they played. So they, this team at, at Newcastle had Jack Cork, who's been there for ages, mm. uh, Josh Brownhill, who's all right. <laughs> like Nick Pope's a semi-decent keeper, but I, I think a lot Nick, of Nick that. Nick Pope, a brilliant recently over the well, last who, month or two. Look at this way: who, who would you want to buy from that team from, in the Premier League? Who would you want to buy from that team that's been relegated? So they've all got relegation release clauses and they're mm-hmm. cheap. I think you'd the left winger. Uh, what's his uh, name? Cornet. 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 Maybe maybe pick him up, but as a squad player, Dwight, he's done Dwight well. Neil. He's the one I think you'd want Val to buy. Veghorst, yeah. Nick Pope. I'd buy uh, Tarkovsky, I think, is leaving anyway. Um, but is, is, you know, is a potentially good centre-back. Yeah. But like Tarkovsky, right? So an obvious one. I'm, I'm mainly listing names because we played this game in the office earlier. And yeah. JJ asked it as a rhetorical question. And yeah. then about three people who aren't even <laughs> commentators JJ's publicly. JJ's expected answer is none of them. Yeah. Well, no, not that at all, though. But like, you look at the level they get to. It's like Dwight McNeil is a good player. But mm. what, like, where would he go in? Like, what? team would he go into and be really good at I can't 
Well, I think that the issue yeah. with Dwight McNeil is that he's a he's a very creative attacking player who plays in a team that doesn't really utilise that many of his his, uh, his talents, right? Well, he's, they've he's tried. As a they play him on the player. left when they've got two strikers and he can put the ball in. And when they've got one striker, they play him on the right. Sure. And he can play off the inverted winger type bit. Uh, I just think they've got... I think Dice has had them overperforming for years. Mm. I don't think it's that the players are really underrated. I think they're all a good... I think it's a good team. Yeah. But not good individual players. Yeah. And at a certain time, that's not enough. And it reminds me very much, like, I don't want to bring Aberdeen into it again, but it's very much like... But Aberdeen had Derek McInnes, similar sort of manager to Dice, I would say, very much built his team around a core group of characters and mm-hmm. people rather than individual players who are ex- exceptionally talented. But yeah. that team is what was best and as soon as McInnes was out and it's fallen apart now they tried to bring in players who are attacking and flair players that hasn't worked whatsoever that's not what Burnley have done yet but uh, Daesh got the absolute most out of that team I don't think Chris would have made much of a difference of him going This is interesting you talk about Daesh though because Roy Keane said after the football was finished yesterday he was asked about Burnley and he said oh they never should have got rid of Sean Daesh and maybe that's true Mm. but Burnley got 10 points out of the four games following Dyche leaving. And when you talk about a team that has been relegated and has as few points overall as they do, winning 10 points from four games is very significant. Yeah. There's a bounce and they'll be, a, they'll be galvanised as well with yeah. knowing that they're, like, they're really in trouble. Not to say Mike Jackson hasn't done a good job with them or anything like that because I'm just not going to analyse any of that. But the if you think like those players have been in their, set in their ways for a long time, it'll be the same, um, there'll be different drills every day, but you know, yeah. it'll be the same sort of a, approach to training, the same uh, principles in place of how you go to work and what you do there. And then suddenly like dad is gone mm. and they're like, oh, that's maybe the wake up call. Like, oh, we're in real trouble here. Yeah. And that's the galvanize. And then we're up against it. Even Sean's gone. Like we can get into this now. And Jackson got uh, two good results out of that. But eventually, not enough because they were already in trouble for most of the season. Uh, but then, sure. I think, what's the long term? Like, who's the best person to get them back up next season? You'd think someone like Sean Dyche. Yeah. Maybe it's Mike Jackson. I'm not sure how many coaching staff changed when he left. I don't know that either. But. I'm suddenly thinking Dwight McNeil would work quite well at West Ham. But then he wanted to play where Jared Bowen plays. You wouldn't get rid of him. And then you've got in their side. You get what's his chops plays in their side. Yeah, what's his chops indeed. Yeah, yeah. I've already forgotten his name. Okay. Well, Everton, anyway, we'll Everton talk player. more about Burnley over the summer. I think there's an interesting story to be told there. Watford and Norwich, of course, they're accompanying Watford and Norwich down. little tweet from Michael Bailey here. Not going to lie, that lap of appreciation was probably the most sorry thing I have ever witnessed inside this stadium since I first came here aged eight. Oh, so I think that says everything you need to hear from the lovely Michael Bailey. Michael Bailey's such a nice man. I know, well. and you know, I, I love Norwich too, sad. but I'm upset when Norwich upset Michael Bailey because uh, I only want him to be happy. But anyway, there's lots of... Uh, Michael Bailey's done uh, a long read. I think they were able to release it about two weeks ago when Norwich actually went down. But I believe the title is something along the lines of A Complete Failure. <laughs> uh, Monumental so, disaster. Yeah, there's a lot to read there. And I'm very curious to see what Norwich do next. Manchester United, we've got a, a fair bit to get through still. So stick with us. Manchester United, let's discuss these uh, these guys Real quick, of course. Here's a question. Can you think of another team that has added, Alex Stewart, the equivalent or relative quality of a Ronaldo, Rafa Varane, Jadon Sancho, and then dropped four positions in the league? Because that's bad, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's it's laughable, really. They, they've had a, a terrible season, and that's a terrible return. And yeah. I think you can't really think of many more ways in which it could have gone wrong. No, I don't think so. I mean, th- this is, we've talked about these guys ad nauseum, haven't we? But this is a team desperately in need of some sort of identity. A tactical identity, yes, absolutely. But also 
an identity that exists above that, a move away from just being a sort of corporate behemoth with lots and lots of commercial times. And I know that and this, this sounds like a kind of really easy pop to take, verging on the point of it being, what's the word I'm looking for, an exaggeration, but it, sure. it is not. <laughs> you know, the, Ronaldo was basically signed because they didn't want Manchester City to sign him. I mean, it kind of fits. He does. scored them 18 goals. He has scored them 18 goals. He's still a decent player, no mm. doubt, but this is wasn't considered. It wasn't considered. It would require, or it did require, a, a huge tactical shift from the way that they were trying to play. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't embark in one direction and then suddenly shift it around for one person who, you know, is not just fine a good player, but is also immensely demanding and egotistical and wants everything focused through him on the pitch. It's just a bad idea, yeah. and. There have been signings like Sancho, great signing, fantastic footballer, you know, needs a little bit of time to adjust perhaps, but clearly the makings of a world-class winger there. So use him properly. You know, that's who you should be building your approach around, not somebody who is aging and is going to give you two seasons at best and also cause other problems. And yeah. I wonder with Sancho, I mean, I'm not saying this is him because I don't know when he ins and outs, but... There's so much from Rangnick and people like David De Gea who keeps coming out and slagging everyone off, saying, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. Uh, often players don't get in the teams not because they're not playing well, because they're just not... Yeah, but you've got... There's, a, there's another quick quote I just, I just want to drop in from De Gea before you carry on. Another thing he said was, uh, the new manager and staff already looking for new players. Hopefully they bring in good ones with good character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Solskjaer was a particularly great manager. But you can look at some of the results that Solskjaer was able to carve out and they they did show character. Yes, United would go down because they were tactically not very astute and a bit weak in some regards, but then they would fight back and there would be decent comebacks against, in some instances, good sides. Mm. That shows resolve. You know, character is not just because a player is stroppy and not being used in the right way. You could be looking at a dressing room that is divided and you're thinking, I'm not being used in this way, but also this player's being listened to too much, or mm. these guys don't like each other. Or... Well, we were talking about crabs before. There's a few crabs, isn't there? Yeah, there are some big crabs. Yeah. yeah, On the pitch, I mean. Sure. Yeah. Who are the crabs at United there? Well, I think McTominay's a bit of a crab on the pitch. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I think that Fernandez is a real crab. Got to say, I'm really on board with this crab thing. I agree. Yeah, I think it's great different too. Different type Luke of Shaw crab. can Fernandez be a crab. is not a crab. Flanders is a jerk on the pitch. He just all he does is moan about is, is he wants what everyone else crab, is doing. Right. Yeah. He's, he's a verbal. Yeah, he a does want to be a crab. crab. He's yeah. like a crayfish. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds fancy, but he's not really. Yeah. Um, I was talking about crayfish. Crayfish doesn't sound fancy. It does Crayfish is one of the least fancy fish I can think of. Cavani's a crab in a good way. Cavani's a crab. I think Luke Shaw's a crab. Mm. He's a tough boy on the on the pitch. It can be. I think he's. I think he's really come on in that sort of regard as well. Yeah, mm. but yeah, I think they're missing some. I think they're missing everything. There's a really sure. great bit in that. Uh, speaking of things in the athletic today, which you can sign up for, Laurie Laurie Whitwell's piece yeah. today. It's so good talking yeah. about Rangnick's secret uh, Russian. Well, I'll tell. I'll tell else. you about this. Um, uh, Man United uh, received tactical advice from an unpaid locomotive Moscow um, performance analyst. Uh, analyst, sorry, Lars. 
Kornetka, who was formerly Rangnick's assistant at Lokomotiv Moscow, has provided live analysis on United's performances from Russia. Uh, the situation has raised eyebrows among some staff members, with Paul Brand, United's head performance analyst, somewhat sidelined, sitting in the stands. I mean, it, it's quite extraordinary to me that... Uh, <laughs> I think I was saying to you before, but the idea that you would trust more... Perhaps the uh, the analysis of someone who is not there doesn't have access to all of the, even just the same sort of camera angles as the current analysis team is probably just using a uh, you know a tool like Y Scout and has never managed a, a a team of the level of Manchester United over the entire team that you have available. I'm not sure what the ins and outs of that are, but just imagining why that might be the case uh, that's quite extraordinary to me. And if you're a player in that dressing room looking at that stuff happening mm. you're going to be thinking oh, i'm not sure i have full confidence in what's going on here sure. like you know particularly if you're a new signing who's been brought in from an outfit that was very professional in that regard yeah and then it turns into this well, we, I mean, crab. It, it makes absolute sense to me using people who you trust and who have in-depth knowledge that you know you need mm-hmm. to be able to do that sort of stuff. Like there was, again, part of that uh, Laurie's piece talking about how um, Rangnick kind of sidelined Mike Phelan for a long time, but by the end of the, his tenure, which is now, he'd come to really rely on him because he was making tactical adjustments within games and recommendations that were working, which is something that Solskjaer definitely benefited from, mm-hmm. as did Sir Alex Ferguson, because mm-hmm. Mike Phelan knows what he's talking about. Yeah, Having the analyst there there, I think I don't think it's that daft a thing. I think the I don't think it's daft to, to, but, to get analysis from someone you trust. I think it's what it says about the team that are, are already the coaching staff in is place. there. Yeah, but then what so, it would suggest. To but me the whole thing. I mean, like Rangnick didn't know that Eric Ten Hag was watching in the stadium. Like that is pretty nuts. Because is, is that what that, is that he didn't know he was there. He didn't well, know he was watching. He was told that in post match and didn't know. So that's one thing. That's that's communication problems in the club. I mean, mm-hmm. and it sounds very much like it's been run by like the Bluth family at the moment. The way that that club looks. The Bluth family from Arrested, Arrested Development. Development yeah. yeah, yeah. So the problem that Rangnick would have with having that guy who's not there, so he's remote, is that. Players, I think people will respond to leaders who make decisions and clearly explain them instantly. Mm. So they come in with the knowledge and they explain it there. The problem that comes across in Laurie's piece is not that the guy is giving them uh, evidence or um, analysis that they need to be able to then develop and put training drills in. Mm. It's that it comes in just slightly too late so that Rangnick can't make it. So that he looks like he loses a bit of authority. Which then, if you're dealing with someone like, uh, not saying that these players are problems at all, I don't know, players like Ronaldo or, or Pogba, whatever, and they see the leader not making decisive actions at key times, and often like a game can hinge on you know a, a tactical switch either way. Like say it was Guardiola relying on a boy in Russia telling him, you're missing all this left side of the pitch. And so he's like, well, I maybe not think he wouldn't put Zinchenko on that halftime switch and you lose that tactical advantage that you have. Sterling's not out wide right to give you that advantage because that's clearly where it is if you haven't noticed it at the time. The also other thing from that piece that, honestly, just read it. It's really good. But the thing I really recommend or remember about it is uh, how Rannick tried to, because he's an interim manager, he felt he couldn't put his actual vision fully in. He was trying to sort of accommodate players. And that's his big regret is that he didn't mm-hmm. go harder on what he wanted to. We talked about how they don't have any identity under Rangnick, so it's been a failure. I think it's been it's been bad leadership and management from Rangnick in that regard because he's trying to do two things at once when he shouldn't have done. If he'd come in with a clear vision, he would have put things in place that, the way they should have been mm-hmm. and players might have responded to it better. Even though those players he have can't do what to do, it's all a bit of a big mess. But... He says that him and Ten Hag are going to 
be able to recruit players. You're referring to it as we, as United, would be working together to go forward with that. Well, I'm very curious to see what happens. One other quick note on Manchester United as well. I don't know how real this is or not, but I saw Sky Sports reporting that Pogba had held positive talks with Juventus. And uh, I, I think it was, I was watching um, the uh, Galazzo show on BT on uh, Sunday and... Um, BT Sport, it's not BT. BT, BT Sport. Sport, sorry about that. Thank yes, you. thank you, JJ. See, when you correct me, I thank you. Whereas when I correct you, you look at me like you hate me and you want to kill me and you think I'm a big crab. Anyway, uh, uh, the two Jameses on there were uh, laughing at the idea that Juventus had, uh, if they pulled this off, had uh, got Pogba for free once and then sold it back for £100 million and then got him for free again, which has to be some of the canniest transfer activity I can think of. But Pogba just one of a number of players who will be leaving over the summer, plenty more to come in and lots to discuss as that occurs. But let's move on from Manchester United to elsewhere. AC Milan. Beats Sassuolo 3-0 on the final day of the Serie A season, winning Serie A for the first time since 2010-11, which incidentally is the third different champion in three years. Quite nice, that, isn't it? Rafael Leal scored a hat-trick of assists. Didn't score them, he got them. Because that's what you, that's how you, you get an assist. You provide, mm. He provided a hat-trick of assists. Uh, Olivier Giroud with a brace as well. Inter, Napoli, Juve will join Milan in the Champions League uh, final places. And uh, Atalanta finishing in eighth, missing out on European football for the first time in six seasons. Something else that was interesting, watching um, the, you know pitch invasions. Maybe we should have talked about pitch invasion earlier with the Man City thing. I mean, we've, we'll come back to that. There was, of course, there was one, uh, the uh, Sassuolo Stadium as well. Seats 24,000 people. 18,000 of them were Milan fans for that game, <laughs> which is quite funny. Just sounds like what happens in Scotland. That's what, yeah. Sure. Pitch invasion, very quickly on pitch invasions I know it sort of sounds like you know fun police to say maybe don't do that but um my, <laughs> my wife was watching the end of the Man City game watching all the celebrations and she was very upset at them for breaking the goal as was I all sitting on the goal breaking the goal I'm looking at JJ because I think JJ will say ah it's about fun it's fiend but if I look <laughs> at you Alex you're sort of, I think you're more likely to say I don't know I, I mean they they did hit Robin Olsen. Yeah. Someone did. Or maybe it looked like two people did. No, there's a real problem with this. Is and they it? Were, like the players, sorry, the opposition players having to rush off to avoid being attacked in the case of Robin Olsen. The winning players having to rush off and not being able to celebrate uh, and then having to come back on. I, I think, I don't want to sound like fun police. I know it's no, a no, bit, it, you know, like being a teacher at school. But when I watched it, I didn't feel overwhelming joy. I felt for the groundskeeper who was probably looking at his sweet, <laughs> sweet grass and thinking, good Lord, this is going to take a long time to fix. Well, everything in history is cyclical, right? And things come round, like wars and everything like that. I know it's going to be big with that, but everything in history comes around. <laughs> wars are always Unless you learn coming. from it. And, um, and like back in the day, there used to be cages in stadiums where you get pressed up against it. Obviously very bad. Not, that's very not going to come bad. back, right? Yeah. We don't very, want that. No, we don't want that to happen. But what seems to, to me, this is a bit of a... Uh, out there kind of thing is that the fourth wall like the separation that exists in football like there's no wall separating people in the crowd from players Mm. and it's almost like slowly people start to realise that oh actually nothing is stopping me from doing this I can go on the pitch like it's happened before obviously but it's only like one or two and then now you're on to revolutions when the people rise up and realise that (laughs) the very small number of police can't do anything to stop you en masse exactly these are the like the 
the, <laughs> not actual like rules of like life that exist is that yeah. you don't go on the pitch you can but you also can't but people just sort of do it's kind of an illusion and yeah it's all an illusion and yeah. you, everyone has to adhere to this or it doesn't exist right it doesn't like santa yeah. you have to believe in him it's, or he it's, doesn't it's, exist it's a sort of collective agreement Exactly. Which has been broken recently. And then people want to have the... People all want to be famous. People all want to get their little five minutes and be like, oh, I've got a video of me punching Robin Olsen, whatever it's, they've done. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's really dangerous. It'll end terribly. Yeah. Something bad will... Re like, it sort of already has. Like, Robin Olsen got assaulted Well, there's a, a, there's a, well, at the very Billy least... Billy Sharp getting assaulted. Yes, yeah, Billy that was Sharp awful. Too. Which, uh, and that, that's the... not there's, there's degrees of badness or whatever, sure. but that was really bad but, like yeah. blindsiding somebody with a running headbutt no but there are degrees as well because like, so like, that's a precedent so then someone else has got to beat that yeah. and yeah. someone else has got to beat that I, so, then, I, so they've got the, the best video or the best moment or. I think it's a lot to do with with this like you say that this kind of performative fan element and you see it sometimes as well with uh, with certain YouTube channels or whatever people getting weirdly angry and enraged but on camera in a way that feels kind of staged and it's mm. it's as if you somehow have to ramp it up yeah. beyond what would be normal because that's how you get your clicks and that's how you get your hits and this, this yeah. whole thing of of now being on a thing and people posting on twitter like haha this is the video of me where i'm swearing at patrick vieira or whatever it's sure it, it becomes about getting that moment yeah. rather than, there are obviously going to be some fans who are just happy and are swept up and they've done something that people have always done and sure. yeah, it's not great, but it's not the end of the world. But there is this element of it which will escalate exactly like you say. And for very sensible reasons, a lot of the things that used to be the answer to that, like mm. a really heavy police presence or, you know, barriers, you cages, would say that, that kind of copper. stuff. Um, well, they're not going to be the case now because, no. you know, for, for safety reasons, which is great, obviously, because you don't want cages in front of things because, you know, that, that leads to people dying and mm -hmm. that's even worse. But there has to be something that prevents this sort of thing. And, and it's not looking like it will be fans going, oh, I don't think that's a great idea. No, I think at the very, the very minimum, the, the, these players are employees of football clubs. And the employer has a duty of care. Yeah. And I think if you allow uh, tens of thousands of fans or just thousands of but fans this, to run on and, and attack people. Yeah. Again, I don't want, I'm not trying to dramatise it. I appreciate that not every football player is being attacked. But in the case of, 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 uh, of these two examples, it's, it's really serious and it's not fun. Football's, and football's I don't like walls it. are really important. are a very, yeah. very weird public space, though, because mm. they are, they're a public space where... The, the responsibility is is partly on the owner of that public space. Mm. So if it's Wembley, it's the FA, or if it's a club, it's the club. But also because it's football, it's kind of policed a bit. Yeah. And there are specific laws that apply only to football stadiums, you know, like not having alcohol in view of the pitch of, of certain levels of the game and so on. And so there's been a shift away from police policing grounds partly mm. because of the expense of doing that and you know if, if police appear on the concourse at Wembley the FA have to pay a certain amount of money and so on and that leaves it in the hands of the clubs but the clubs are profit-making entities sure. who are going to look at you know do we want to spend 20 grand per match day on stewarding or 50 grand well yeah. let's spend 20 if we can 
get away with that. I'm not sure. referring to any club in particular here, I want to be clear, but that's the way it's going. And so there, there, there needs to be a discussion, you know, there is a discussion around things like safe standing at the moment. If people want safe standing, this is not the way to go mm. about it. Can I make a suggestion? Have you guys seen the film Gladiator? Yes. yes. Do you know how in the Colosseum there's the scene where he's fighting a tigress and there's the tigers that are being held on the chains? Mm. What if you had all the way around the uh, football stadium, if you had tigers... It would do two things. It would stop people, fans coming onto the pitch because you, you'd be mauled and eaten by a tiger. But also it would, it, it would discourage time wasting because when the players went off to do the throw in, yeah. the tigers would the get tiger closer and closer. Yeah. And then you'd have to throw the ball in and get back on the pitch I as quickly think, as possible. I thought what you were going to say is that you have football pitches mm. sunk oh. like 40 or 50 feet <laughs> below because <laughs> the Colosseum's really... High up, isn't it? Because it had those spaces <laughs> for the So you didn't get killed by the tigers. Right, exactly, which is great. And and then so the players come out into this kind yeah. of little cauldron. I would great, worry about, a, you know, view as well, a lemming sort of scenario, though, if that were the case. I don't well, know. Because no, people, people are naturally scared of heights, aren't they? So yeah. they'll behave. They'll behave. That's not a bad idea. I hope. Yeah. Yeah, you could... Also, if it was sunken in, then you could, like they used to do in ancient Rome, you could then release the animals onto the pitch. Yeah, for which extra. would make for more fun, in extra yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Or for penalties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. PSG announced that Kylian Mbappe is staying until 2025. So that's nice. I don't know. But there's a new sporting director, Lewis Campos. I'm very aware that we've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes, and I, I keep thinking of producer Craig. I'm really not happy about that, by the way. We, well, tell me what's happening. That's the only thing I haven't really read about. They basically are implying that in order for... There's a Adam Crafton piece on The Athletic about this. Um, but La Liga are suggesting, quite strongly, uh-huh. um, that in order for PSG to have been able to offer the kind of wage that they have offered, they are clearly breaking some sort of financial oh, fair play agreement. Because okay. otherwise, I, I think it's like, you know, how can a club who last year lost 200 million and the year before that lost more, mm. how can they possibly do this? Interesting that, it's, <laughs> interesting that it's the, the league complaining and not Real Madrid. Well, I think that's partly because Real Madrid exercise that sort of pressure on the league, sure. but also as we've looked at in, in a video on the, the Illustrated channel before, La Liga sets spending caps for Spanish teams yeah. and and is therefore kind of overall responsible for how much teams can spend on transfers and wages. And there are penalties if teams don't do that. That's why Barcelona couldn't register a, a player or two until they got rid of other people for yeah. Torres, I think it was. So it's understandable that the Liga, like, you know, you're basically threatening the sporting integrity of our league when we're trying to manage the financial integrity of our league, mm. however valid that is, by going and doing this instead. Yeah. Um, that's, well, that's the league are terrified as well because they've lost a lot of their star, like, clout. Yeah. That's a, that's a phrase. So star the, the managerial talent. Erling Haaland is not going there either this summer. Yeah. But, and again, that's kind of part of the point is that Real didn't press the Holland deal because they kind of just assumed they would get Mbappe. Mm-hmm. They may still get him. That's not worked. But that's the whole reason for the Super League, right? Is that they're terrified that the Premier League has basically become the Super League, which yeah. it more or less has. Like it's become the NBA essentially. Sure. Like the only place you really want to play basketball is the NBA. That's, mm-hmm. that's where you go. And the Premier League is kind of becoming that. 
if it happened, to, I mean, it's not as nice to live in England as it is somewhere like Spain or something like that. So I guess that's the benefit. And they you do still become a superstar at those one or two clubs. But then those leagues just become more and more like it is in Scotland. And it's only two teams forever. Mm. Serie A is where it's at. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Good football, good players. Interesting story. 18,000 fans and 24,000 stadium. Well, there we go. That's uh, Kylian Mbappe staying at PSG. What will be interesting to see the expected domino effect of uh, striker-related transfers after that one mm. uh, now no longer happening. So curious to see how that shakes out as the summer moves on. But we'll talk more about PSG in the coming months. The Europa League final happened in between this podcast and the last one. Rangers didn't win, though, JJ, did they? And you said it was very boring. I didn't watch it. I went to watch this with my Rangers supporting friend. Right. Who I do not support Rangers. Dave. Uh, yeah, Dave. Dave supports Rangers. Yeah. Does he? Yeah. So this is a this is a thing. I thought Dave was an Aberdeen fan. When you grow up in Aberdeen, I don't know why I looked at the camera to say that. But yeah, this is one of my best friends. He supports Rangers. He says it's because he mostly did it to wind up his brother, who supports Aberdeen. Right. So the big rival for Aberdeen is Rangers. It's formed out of sure. winning stuff, but also various historical things. Yeah, and a big tackle in the eighties and stuff. And also to wind someone up, very reasonable reason to support a team. It's I think. So funny. I mean, it is funny, and it's always funny. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he supports them. But this is the thing. So in Scotland, the big problem for years was that everyone would support Celtic or Rangers, which everyone mm. was winning the most. The kids would support that. Yeah. I think in recent times, especially in Aberdeen, the manager Derek McInnes, who had mentioned earlier on who managed to make Aberdeen into a team who could push Celtic sort of and won a cup whereas I'd grown up very few people would wear Aberdeen shirts mm. when around Aberdeen or the Shire that's Aberdeenshire not just in case you get all hobbity on me well, then the uh, I was feeling a little hobbity yes <laughs> good and uh, so now I think it's they've what they've done really well really well Aberdeen's done really well is that, is that Kids now wear Aberdeen shirts. Yeah. And it sounds silly, but that's the kind of thing. Like, look at AC Milan, take 18,000 to Sassuolo. So that's just 18, you know, and there's people in Sassuolo. Is that a place, Sassuolo? I don't <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Sure. Wherever, I don't know where they play, sorry. But, you know, they're not going to wear Sassuolo shirts. They'll be wearing AC Milan shirts in, 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 over time, because in the past it was always them or Juventus that everyone would support. Cause they I don't know what stuff. you're saying, really. Sassuolo is a place. It is a place. Yeah, I don't know. It's in a region, though. In, What's the region? Emilia-Romagna. It's Emilia Glory Romagna. Hunters. Emilia-Romagna, Ma- Ma- uh, my wife tells me, very famous uh, for the uh, being the found, founding uh, location of a, a very specific uh, pedagogy. Oh, so you know that's interesting. And yeah, Rangers lost. Rangers lost. There yeah. we go. We got three players in the team. Would it annoy you season. if I was a Rangers fan? Sorry. Would it annoy you if I was a Rangers fan? Uh, I don't really want to get into it on a podcast. I think maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> Talking of Italy very briefly mm. again, you know you were saying about uprisings. Yes. I've just been reading John Foote's book, Calcio. Oh, oh I've heard of that one. Calcio, possibly. And back in the 1920s, there was an uprising in Via Reggio uh-huh. where there was some crowd trouble after a game. And then the local anarchists seized on the opportunity after they'd sent the carabinieri packing mm ended up taking over their barracks and holding sure. out for like three or right. four days. It's funny, isn't it, with anarchists? They say they don't believe in anything, but they definitely believe in opportunism. I, no, they do believe in stuff. <laughs> Just trying to make a joke. Oh, right. Did they kill the rich? Some of them, probably, yeah. That's not to be encouraged, obviously, violence. Speaking of the rich, RB Leipzig won the, the Pokal in Germany. A goal down and a man down after a red card. One on penalties. That's what Seb wrote there. Seb was very keen for us to talk about it, though. He said the uh, reception in uh, wider Germany 
uh, dismay. <laughs> People don't like that, of course, for understandable reasons, because of the 50 plus one uh, um, uh, model of German football and the way that that clashes with uh, Red Bull's football model again. That's a thing. But congratulations to Tom Werfel. Yes. Having escaped the scattergram to go and work for RB Leipzig. Sure. Yeah. Well done, Werfel. There he goes. I think it's Warville. Warville. Yeah, there was a, there was a there was a bigger. Uh, this is very boring. I mean, listen, if you're still listening an hour and a half into the podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can hear this. There was a big conversation <laughs> amongst the editors here about whether it was Werville or Warville, and um, Werville sounds more like uh, a sort of ratty creature from um, yeah. Harry Potter. Makes me think of Werther's Originals. Mm, Those Werville. hard hard sweets. Werville would be. You'd think he was a evil sort of character, but then turns out to be good after all. Like yeah. you know, all the Harry Potter ones are. You think they're all bad, they turn out to be good. Tom Warrival. Warrival. Aren't they all good apart from the one who's obviously bad? Because it's not really noisy about Harry Potter. Why is he not powerful at all? He's, got, he's Who, useless. Harry. Who's he's Harry? Got Harry Potter in Harry Potter. Who? No, he's not powerful. He's got no power. He's got power. His power is that his mum and dad loved him. <laughs> <laughs> Great. He's not like, he should be like Luke Skywalker and have powers. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't he does zap anyone. To be no, he doesn't. He Luke's, accidentally Luke gets Skywalker through things. He stumbles so through it. He slashes up Malfoy in the toilets. Big time. A lot of blood. Yeah. A lot of blood. Luke Skywalker has <laughs> he did to do that. learn a load of stuff first. Yeah. Luke Skywalker, Skywalker had a yoga. before completing his training, which yeah. is why things don't initially go that well for Isn't him. Isn't the boy like, what's his name? Like Longbottom is the most powerful wizard in the world. Neville Longbottom. Yeah. Is that a theory or something that he's meant to be the most powerful someone's more powerful never heard, never heard it's, it's, a, it's a hero's journey right that's obviously what that book is it's, yeah. it's just a, a copy of star wars all the way through what star wars is just a copy of like the bible, the bible. Yeah, yeah, obviously I mean, it's all it's the hero's journey it's all there's this no need to say something's a copy of something because everything's yoda. a copy of everything Jesus. well it yoda, annoys me i think is uh, is god i'm pretty oh, okay. sure yoda's god yeah uh, yoda's more like uh what's his name dumbledore dumbledore right I like the mandalorian yeah didn't watch it which one would the Mandalorian be in Harry Potter? Who is the Mandalorian? He's a it's a religion, Mandalorian. So he's one Mandalorian. Yeah, it's not a race; it's a religion. He's very emphatic yeah. on that point. Marco Rosa has ended uh, his relationship with uh, Borussia Dortmund, or at least the tweet says BVB and coach Marco Rosa end their relationship. Bit of a shame, Alex. There, everyone was quite excited about that a year ago, weren't they? Yeah, didn't work out. A lot of it's been to do with injuries and losing Sancho, but also questions about how good he's been tactically and mm. to what degree that, that that team was carried in a previous couple of seasons by Favre making magic things happen and just having a couple of phenomenally good players. You take one or two of them out of the mix. Yeah. And it all falls apart, but it's Dortmund need to be good. Otherwise... And just walk it again, don't they? So mm. great video by Seb today. Yeah. Tifo IRL yes, as part absolutely. of the Tifo Football Show mm. on how to end Bayern's dominance. Dissolve the club. Well, yeah. speaking of uh, removing one element and it all falling apart, <laughs> Alex Stewart has an announcement to make. Now, Alex, your camera is here. Oh, okay. please look directly down the camera. This is not right down the lens. Going to be embarrassing. And um, please tell people why it is that you've been fired from your job. <laughs> um, I'd like to point out I've not been fired. We was fired. I was fired. No, I wasn't fired. Um, but this is my last official podcast as a full-time TIFO employee. Um, don't look at me, look at the camera. Yeah, okay. Um, because, I don't know. I'm not going to explain why. <laughs> this, this is an underwhelming <laughs> announcement. I want to know. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to write 
other things. I'm yeah. probably still going to do some stuff on football. I'm going to be on here occasionally yeah. as a guest, yeah. which will be good. Yeah, when we can't um, get anyone better. <laughs> Yeah, so once every couple of months, maybe, uh, when JJ goes on holiday. Um, but yeah, it's like I've been here a long time now and I need to sure. do something a bit different. Right. And fine. I think we've done what we set out to do, didn't we? Really? To a degree? Oh, I don't know. Not sure. Okay. Not well, we sure. can discuss that afterwards. You'll tell me in the exit interview. It's going to be fun. Are you going to be there? No, I'm not allowed. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I fired him, so it's a bit, yeah, it's okay, a bit uncomfortable. Good. I didn't um, get fired. Alex Stewart. Uh, who was fired will be here on Saturday to do the Champions League live stream. Yes. So if you want to join us on Saturday for the Champions League live stream, please do. In fact, many of the TFO staff members will be in the office to watch the football and to celebrate Alex's departure. Mm-hmm. Or is, it, is that the right word? Celebrate? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 To yeah. celebrate Alex's departure. Uh, so join us on, on Saturday to watch the live stream. That would, be, uh, that would be great. Can I plug something as well? Yeah. Are you also leaving? Because that would be a real problem. No. <laughs> I know, I'll never leave. It's fine. Uh, I'm doing a little gig on Sunday in London. Are you? Yeah. A little one? Yeah. How small are you going to be? Um, you don't need to buy tickets. Okay. Because yeah. it's yeah. going to be very Is badly attended. I'm just going to play some songs, probably some football things I've done in the past. and a bit of. It's inside, yeah. Is it at Dave's Bar? It's not at Dave's Bar. Oh. It's at uh, the Finsbury in Manor House. Oh, I, I told you about this. Did Twice, you? yeah. Yeah. Don't that pub used me. to be a scary looking pub. And I wouldn't go in there, but now it looks nice. It's lovely inside, yeah. yeah. So if you want to come along to that, it's, there's no, you don't have to take it. The Finsbury is Sunday. right opposite Manor House. It is. Station places, on the yeah. Piccadilly line. Yeah. Yeah. I'll play a song in honour of Alex Stewart. That's what I'll do. Maybe you can play one of your crab songs. I do have some crab songs. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to wear your crab costume? Uh, I've done it before. Mm, I'll think about it. When I wear the crab suit, I have to be in character as King Crab. So character, yeah, it's character. We in the art world take the drama of these things very seriously, don't we? That's the end of the TFO Football Podcast. Thank you so much for coming and listening to us uh, today and listening to us throughout the entire season. One thing I forgot to do very quickly: Are you still part of the fantasy league? The TFO Fantasy League. I have league. no fucking clue. Because someone sent me a message on LinkedIn the other day saying, "Is there a prize?" And I said, "No, of course there's not a prize." Uh, but he said he was second, and would we be able to read out oh, that's good. the well winners? I know, it's very impressive to be second this far into the season. And I can announce now that the winner of the TIFO Fantasy League is not Shane McGowan, who messaged me on LinkedIn to ask if we'd read the winners out, because Shane McGowan dropped to second place at the end. So, sorry about that, Shane. Um, love your work, though. It is Stefan Breen with the team named There or Thereabouts. I mean... He's there. He's there. Captained Huming Sun in the last weekend. That's how he seems to have won it. Inspired. Yeah. Inspired. A couple of other shout-outs. Uh, Bassett Tanvir is in third place with Mavericks. A huge final week jumping up to third there. Patrick Dunton dropping from uh, third to fourth. And... Uh, uh, fifth, fifth is uh, Jamie Attire with a, a great team name. Neville wears Prada. Yeah. So thanks to all of the people who participated in the Tifo Fantasy League. As you can see, we take it very seriously, and we care about what happens to you in that league so much so that to avoid the four or five minutes it took us to log in and find that, um, I don't think we'll set one up next year <laughs> because uh, you know. We'll get excited for about a minute like you always do with just, that. And then, then the first the weekend's pressure. bad and stop doing it. Yeah, that's what happens. It turns out I didn't even have a team, so 
I stopped before the first weekend, which maybe is the right choice. But uh, JJ Bull the Bullard, thank you for today. Goodbye, everyone. Alex Stewart, sorry we had to let you go forcibly from your job. <laughs> yeah. But um, where do I hand my parson? Uh, Craig will take all of your stuff. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he'll before you want to get rid of it, he'll yeah. take it all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks to uh, producer Craig for today and to uh, producer Adonis for editing. And uh, we will be back uh, next week with something a little different to what's happened now because there was no football. So, you know, see you later. <laughs> <laughs>